If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Revelation chapter 12. The title of our message this morning is A Great Chapter. And you say, Johnny, all the chapters in the Bible are great. Why is this a great chapter? Well, I just stole it because in the first verse, if you're looking at Revelation chapter 12, it says, now a great sign appeared. And so as I'm reading through the chapter, I notice, notice verse 1 again, a great sign appeared. In verse 3, if you jump down, there's a great fiery red dragon If you jump over all the way to verse 12, you'll notice that there's great wrath that is to be depicted. And then in verse 14, there's a great eagle that is shown. And so the word great comes up four times. What we are going to get out of this chapter is great insight into the devil, the enemy of our soul. And so as we go through this, God is going to show us a picture, a glimpse at this enemy that is the devil, Satan, the deceiver, the liar, Lucifer. And we're going to study just a little bit. This isn't something that we do on a regular basis. We happen to be going through the Bible. We find ourselves today in Revelation chapter 12. We're going through the book of Revelation. We're in the middle of the tribulation period. And so we don't study the devil just because we want to know more about the enemy. We study as we go through the word of God. And again, this is where we find ourselves. And so we're going to get insight, great insight into this enemy of our souls so that we can see his tactics, so that we can recognize his ways and what he's about, so that we can understand that we have a personal enemy that is the enemy of God. And because we belong to God as Christians, we are his enemies as well. God gave me a vision yesterday morning. I don't have very many. In fact, this would be my second in life of all visions. And so the vision was two paths. Now we know that the Bible declares that there are two roads. There's a broad road that the world finds themselves on, and then there's a narrow path that Christians find themselves on. So the broad road where anything goes is just one road. The narrow path that the Lord would have us on is one thing. But this isn't what God was showing me. He wasn't showing me the broad path and the narrow road. He was showing me two paths that Christians can take. And I want to read you the vision because I have no memory, even though I do remember quite a bit of the vision. But I hurry up and got up and wrote it down. It was early in the morning, and my wife, of course, always appreciates it when I wake up and jump on the computer because I wake her up. So you guys got to pray for my honey. Picture two paths. One titled, Deny Self, the other, Self. At the end of Deny Self is the Lord with open arms, waiting to lead you further in your walk with Him as you choose which path you want to take. This is the path of humility, as you place God first and others second. What would please your Savior and what would be a blessing to others as you minister to them, consider them above yourself Place their needs as a priority. At the end of the other path, self is the enemy of your soul. He is deceptively drawing you in his direction as you give in to pleasing self. This is subtly done by having you place yourself above God and others. Self-preservation, self-exaltation, saving face, comfort, greediness, pride, 
And so many more are the tools of his, in his arsenal to get you to think of self and the path he wants to lead you down. The choice is yours. Which path will you choose? You get to put this into practice every single day of your life. Choose wisely. God loves you and his grace is sufficient. That was what God showed me. And that's a decision, a moment by moment, daily opportunity that we have in making decisions on a daily. And I just saw Jesus on this path with nail-pierced hands holding them out saying, son, come this way. Walk this way. I love you. I'm leading you. I'm guiding you. And then I saw on this other path, Satan, with his diabolical ways, masquerading always as something good, something beautiful, something that's going to be beneficial for me. And yet, in his deceptive ways and tactics, having me draw that, go that way of self-exaltation, of not denying self, of all of those other things. And so, again, through the study, we're going to have some insight into the enemy of our souls. This is Revelation chapter 12. Let's read verses 1 and 2. Again, we find ourselves in the middle of the tribulation period. Now, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of 12 stars. Then, being with child, she cried out in labor and in, the pain, and in pain to give birth. So a great sign appears in heaven. The Apostle John is taken up into heaven. He's given this revelation. Again, we find it right smack dab in the middle of the tribulation period. We're going to go and uh, eventually we'll get to the last seven bold judgments that are going to be poured out upon the world. That period of time, Jesus in Matthew chapter 24 says, as such the world has never seen nor, never, nor ever will see Uh, And he calls it not the tribulation period, but the great tribulation period. It's a time of just incredible judgment being poured out in the world. And so there's this sign, a woman about to give birth. Now, many have taken credit and many have attributed this woman to be somebody who she's not clearly throughout the scriptures. Some have said that maybe this is Mary who gives birth to Jesus. Catholicism holds to that view. And so they elevate Mary to a place where maybe she's the woman in this vision. And how you see and how you view this woman is very important because it will uh, break open your, your uh, end times, your eschatology, uh, and how you view the end times and what's going to take place. Believe it or not, some people uh, picture this woman as the church giving birth to Jesus. But The truth is, Jesus gives birth to the church. The church doesn't birth Jesus. Um, Believe it or not, Mary Baker Eddy has claimed to be this woman in Revelation chapter 12. If you don't know who Mary Baker Eddy is, she is the leader of the Christian science, a cult that um, doesn't hold to the true belief of salvation and what the Bible teaches. This woman... And who she is can be seen if you look that there is a moon, sun, stars within the vision that John is given. And if you go to the law of first mention, the first time that those are mentioned in a category, in a group, if you know your Bible, is Genesis chapter 37. Joseph, 
is given two dreams. And in one of those dreams, there's a set of bushels and all of this stuff. And you can read it in, in Psalm, uh, Genesis chapter 37. And, and he explains that uh, his bushel of wheat was higher than his family's, his mother, his father, and his 11 brothers. And that they're going to bow down to him. And then he says, but I saw this other dream. I saw the moon, the sun, and I saw 11 stars. And they were all bowing down to me. And his father comes and he says, that's, <laughs> that's not right. What are you saying? Are you saying that we, me and your mother, are going to be bowing down to you? Now, if you know what those 11, actually it's 12, if you include Joseph, what those 12 stars mean, they represent the nation of Israel. They went, represent the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. And so a proper view of who this woman is is it's the nation of Israel. It is the nation of Israel that gives birth to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Let's continue on, verse 3. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. This is speaking of Satan, this red dragon. The red is speaking of his diabolical scheme of bloodshed throughout history, starting with Cain and Abel. Cain would kill his brother Abel, and bloodshed would be just poured out on the earth. It would cry out to God, and ever since then, God has, I mean, Satan has tried to wipe out any part of God's plan and what he has through just incredible bloodshed. This Satan, this fiery red dragon, it's a death, and he's a devourer. If you jump over to verse 9 in that same chapter, we'll cheat a little, but you'll see that Satan is called the serpent of old. As he's called the serpent of of old, it would would take us back to Genesis chapter 3, where that serpent would slither into the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve and bring deception to Eve. And so as that, he is the serpent of old. In that same verse, verse 9, he is called the devil. The devil means slanderer or accuser. He slanders, and he's the accuser of God's people. And that's very important. I'm going to touch on that in a little bit. He is also called Satan, which means adversary. He is the enemy. He is against God and against God's people. In verse 10, you'll notice he's called the accuser of our brethren. His work before the throne of God today is to accuse God's people, Christians. Now think about this. If Satan is the accuser of the brethren, where do you and I belong as God's children as it comes to accusations to one another? Do we accuse one another? Do we point our fingers at one another? Because that's the ministry of Satan. And so I think it's very important that we need to be careful as we begin to accuse one another of things. We think we have knowledge. We think we have understanding But when we begin to accuse one another, what we're doing is we're partnering with Satan in his ministry as we accuse the brethren. So I I encourage you, I admonish you, I exhort you, be careful as you accuse. We need to be in prayer for one another. We need to be looking to the Lord for one another. And yeah, you know what? Sometimes we do get inside information about the lives of people and the sins that they're struggling with. But as opposed to accusing them, how, how about we go to God's throne on their behalf in prayer? as opposed to partnering with Satan 
and talking to others and accusing our own brothers and sisters. I don't think God would have us to be doing that. As we go on in Revelation chapter 12, look at verse 4. It says, His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. So a third of Satan's tail would sweep and gather one-third of the angelic realm, and those would now be demons or powers or principalities or rulers of darkness, but they would be those fallen angels. And so God has at his, uh, in his arsenal two-thirds of the angelic realm, very powerful uh, beings. They are elevated above humanity in power and in order. Um, and so God would have at his disposal two-thirds where Satan has one-third of the angelic realm to do his bidding, demons and again, all those entities. So Satan is all about devouring the child that uh, Israel would give, born to, uh, give birth to. And who is that? None, none other than Jesus Christ. Verse 5, she bore a male child who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron and her child was caught up to God and his throne. Verse 6, then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her their 1,260 days. That number is three and a half years. It's a uh, Jewish calendar of 360 days. And so throughout the book of Revelation, you're always given these time, times, and half a time. Time would be one year. Times is two years. And half a time is half a year, three and a half years. And so all of these numbers are always equaling up to if it's half of the tribulation period, it's three and a half years. In between verses five and six, we see a time period of 2,000 years. As we saw when Jesus came to the earth, King Herod found out that a king of the Jews was born and he was threatened, his throne was threatened. Not understanding that the Messiah's kingdom would be a spiritual kingdom, not a physical or earthly kingdom. But in fear he set out to kill all the babies under a certain age from the time that he had heard the prophecy. And so he had them all wiped out trying to kill the Messiah, the king of the Jews, Jesus. Jesus at that time fled to Egypt through a census that took place. And so you see God's uh, sovereignty taking place and he wasn't affected by it. But that's what Satan has been doing and has tried to do from the very beginning. Verse seven goes on to say, and war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought. Michael is the archangel of God. There are three angels named within the scriptures. One is Michael, the archangel, Gabriel, the messenger angel, and Lucifer. Turn with me in your Bibles and let's take a look at the fall of this being, this creature. Turn in your Bibles to... Isaiah chapter 14, and we'll see the fall of this angel that took place. Hold your place in Revelation chapter 12, we'll come back, but let's take a look at a few scriptures that open up what took place at one point in time in history. Isaiah chapter 14, we're going to start at verse 12. 
the Bible has one interpretation, but oftentimes there will be multiple prophecies given to a Bible, so uh, to a, a verse or a set of verses. So in this case, there, there could be a king, we're going to see in Ezekiel as well, there was this king of Tyre in Ezekiel, and that prophecy was given specifically for that king that existed at that specific time, but it's also a picture of Satan and his fall. And so we see that throughout the scriptures. Right here, we see the fall of Satan. This is Isaiah chapter 14, starting at verse 12. The Bible says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer. Lucifer means shining star. Son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground. You who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol to the lowest depths of the pit. Jump over now to the right of your Bible and turn to Ezekiel chapter 28. Ezekiel chapter 28. So Satan says five times that I will. He has an eye problem. He fell for pride. Pride was lifted up. He was the most beautiful, angelic being in God's creation. He was in charge of worship in heaven, as you see through, what, or as you're going to see through what we're going to read, that he had instrumentation built into his very being. His hands were like tambourines, And somewhere within his being were pipes, like organ pipes. And so many believe that he was the worship leader in heaven, and he was cast down to earth. And many think that when he came to earth, he fell in the worship team in churches because we see so much warfare take place within worship. So imagine this creature, the most beautiful of God's creatures, of his creation, and watching God be worshipped and praised, And pride was lifted up in his heart because of his beauty. And he wanted to be worshipped as God was worshipped. He wanted people to give him adoration, praise, homage. And so that's his tactic even now that he's been thrown out of heaven. He's still getting individuals to look to him as he gives them lies, but he gives them power, prestige, position, as they bow down and worship him. Ezekiel chapter 28, starting at verse 12. The Bible says, Son of man, take up lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardius, topaz, and diamond, Beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I establish you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till... Iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within, and you sinned 
Therefore I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. You defiled your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities, by the iniquity of your trading. Therefore, I brought fire from your mist. It devoured you. And I turned you to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who knew you among the peoples are astonished at you. You have become a horror and shall be no more forever. To Satan's five I will statements, God comes back with six I statements. It's not about you, Satan. It's not about what you desire. It's not about what you want. Worship for yourself, adoration for yourself, attention drawn to yourself as pride is lifted up, but God gives him I statements right back. And so we see this one. And guys, this one is... He's not this red face, horns on his head, you know, pointy tail, pitchfork, boogeyman that we have these caricature pictures of. This guy's been around a long time. This guy has intelligence. He is the commander of an army of demons that are intelligent that want to rob, kill, and destroy. That is his motive. That is his his objective. And so we need to recognize, again, not as we study for the sake of, 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 of worshiping this personage, but understanding that you have a personal devil. You have a personal enemy that is out to destroy you. And as God is there with loving arms, just loving hands, reaching out that you would walk towards him. You have an enemy that you're living in your very own flesh, your old nature. And Satan knows your propensities. He has studied you. He knows your weaknesses. He knows you better than you know yourself. And with this world and its tantalizing things, he lures you and draws you in. And he may not get you to turn your back on God in one decision, but as long as he can continue to distract you long enough to get you off of the wonderful, perfect, beautiful plan that God has for your life, and you and I are feeding right into this plan that the enemy has every time we disobey God, every time we fall short of what God is calling us to, Every time that we give in to the flesh and the desires of this flesh and we don't go God's way, we don't move in God's direction. Every single time we do that, we're falling into the trap and the snare that the enemy and God is saying, guys, I got abundant life in store for you. I've got a joy that is unspeakable, peace that surpasses understanding. Cooperate, participate, come my way. Satan is subtle. I'm going to give you one example, and we're going to continue on in the book of Revelation. But I want you to take one thing that is popular in our culture is you cannot be a snitch. Okay? So picture a high school campus. 
Picture a prison. Incarcerated people. People who have done crimes and they've been found out and they've gone to court. If they tell on somebody, they are ostracized. They are considered bad. Look at the subtlety of Satan. The Bible says, have nothing to do with the works of darkness, rather expose them. Satan turns that whole thing around and says, you're a good person if you don't snitch. If you don't expose the darkness that somebody's doing. That's diabolical. That's how good Satan is. Satan gets us to do things in a world and and to be liked by the world and to be popular in the world and to be accepted by people. Satan gets us to do things that we don't even understand that we're working against God and his kingdom and his righteousness and his light. We're working for the kingdom of darkness when we hold those types of things away. There are communities in Los Angeles where they will come out and they will see people kill a kid. They shut their doors, they go back in their houses, and they didn't see anything because they can't be a snitch. A child has died in their presence and they can't tell because it's wrong. That's Satan. That's satanic. That's demonic. God says, I don't care what happens to you. Expose that junk. Expose that mess. Yeah, but what if they kill me? So be it. What if they kill you? Yeah, but what if, and what if, and what if, and what if? Am I fearing man or am I fearing God? Am I elevating God's plan for my life or am I just going along to get along in the world and its system? Because the world and its system is run by Satan and it's evil. It's demonic. It's diabolical. And again, just the subtlety of what Satan does, we don't even recognize it at times for what it is. Guys, we got to spend time in the love letter to shine light, to expose the darkness in his dastardly ways. If we're not in the word, we're not going to understand what we're to be about. Let's go on in this chapter because it's going to expose some other things. And we can learn from it. Back to Revelation chapter 12, verse 8. It says, But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So these demons and Satan, at some point, is going to be cast out. We know that right now, Satan has access to God's throne because he accuses the brethren daily. Remember Job, and Satan and God are having a conversation, and God says, Hey, Satan, where are you? Where you been? Back and forth, roaming around the earth, to and fro. And now he's in front of God, accusing the brethren, talking bad about Job. Job's a mercenary. He only loves you because you have a covering over his life. That's what he does. He accuses the brethren. Verse 9, so great, so the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the world, the whole world. He was cast to the earth, And his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God 
and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. Many believe that this will take place in the millennium, the 1,000 year reign of Christ. Verse 11, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. If this group of individuals overcame the enemy in this way, would we not as well overcome the enemy in the same way? By the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony, and they did not love their life to the death. I think of Columbine and that little girl, that little girl in high school, gun is pointed to her head, and this guy who is shooting up Columbine High School, and, and there are bodies just strewn around the school. And he says, denounce Jesus or I'll kill you. She says, I can never denounce my Lord. And he puts a bullet to her head and kills her, is the testimony. And I, I wonder how many Christians would be bold enough to not deny the name of Jesus. Because we live in a culture of compromise where people would just, well, I'll just, I'll deny him and then I'll ask forgiveness and it'll be all good. Well, there is coming a time where you're not only going to have to give your um, life for, to Jesus, if you will, but you're going to have to die for the Lord. That's what this tribulation is about. It goes on in verse 12. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. The short time that he will have is the three and a half years to be able to just wreak havoc on the world. Verse 13. Now when the dragon saw that, they, that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman, Israel, who gave birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. There's a scripture in the book of Isaiah that says basically this place that God has for the nation of Israel to be able to hide them is Petra, the rock city. It's, I think, Selah, which is current day Petra. I forgot what chapter it's in. I was reading it earlier this week. And so God has a place for his, his, his kingdom. Think about it. The tribulation period is going to start. God is going to raise up 144,000 Jews to share the gospel. God is going to have two witnesses in Moses and Elijah, I believe it's Moses. Elijah for sure, but I think the other one's going to be Moses. God is going to have two angels proclaiming the gospel. We're going to have a population explosion, more people in the world than ever in history. And through that, many are going to be coming to the Lord, many Gentiles, but many Jews. And so during this time, God is going to take the Jews. In the middle of the tribulation period, Satan, who brought a false peace to the world at the beginning, where Israel made a pact with the Middle East, somehow, these Arab nations, and this false peace comes. In the middle of the tribulation, in Daniel chapter 9, something called the abomination of desolations is going to take place, where Satan is going to come into the temple and he is going to ask to be worshipped. At that point, the nation of Israel is going to say, no, we ain't down with that. And their eyes are going to be open that Jesus is the Messiah. God at that point is going to take them and hide them, protect them in this city of Petra. Verse 15, so the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman 
that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. This is speaking of a, of a, of a war. Verse 16, but the earth helped the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. What an awesome, awesome time to be reading about, but scary, scary time that is going to come on this earth. As just the vision ties in to that which is subtle and satanic, as an enemy, we have the, the, uh, the world, the flesh, and the devil. We have a threefold enemy. And we can't do much about the devil and what he's going to do in deceiving and tricking outside of studying the word and being close to the Lord, right? The devil's going to come at you. It's not really the devil. It's probably demonic things, right? And as far as this world and its system goes, not much we can do about that either. The world is corrupt. It's run by the devil, the God of this world. So there's not much change in that we're going to do to the world. Maybe we can change our little environments. We have a workplace and we can be light in that workplace. Nothing wrong with that. And in that sense, we're changing the world and we're making it better. But as far as the system of the world, not much we can do. But when it comes to my flesh, the enemy that I live in, I can do something about that. I can be a spiritually minded person. I can be looking to the Lord for strength. I can be looking for the Lord to guide me and then giving me the strength to move in the direction that he's calling me to. And guys, that road, that path, it's denying self. That's all it is. I wish I had something pretty and eloquent to give you that I can just lay it out there and you'd be like, I've never heard that, deny self. Gee, that'd be a great idea. Yeah, it's deny self. It's denying self. It's putting God first. It's putting people second. And it's denying yourself. It's taking up your cross daily. And it's following Jesus. And we're going to mess up. We're going to make mistakes. Because we are selfish by nature. We're always looking out for our best interests. We're always looking for what's going to please us. What's going to make us happy, content, and all of these things. And God is saying the way to victory as a Christian is to place God first and people second. Elevate those two things and you'll be on that path of denying self, of looking to the Lord. And it doesn't mean that you're not gonna be blessed. You're already blessed and you will continue to be blessed. God has good things in store for his children. But we're not trying to, like the faith teachers and the prosperity gospel, which is a false gospel, we're not trying to bring heaven down to earth. Heaven is heaven, guys. Heaven is heaven. And the blessings and the, the awesome things that God has in store in this life for us to experience, those are blessings. We thank God for them. There's nothing wrong with being blessed in a relationship. That's a blessing from God. There's nothing wrong with having a job and earning a living. Nothing wrong with that. But that's not what we're living for. We're living for eternity. We're living for heaven. Joel Osteen would want to bring heaven down to earth. False gospel. I love Joel Osteen. He's a brother in the Lord. 
false gospel when he says that heaven is to be down here. That your relationships on earth are to be perfect. Jesus is what? Weren't? That you are to be prosperous. Jesus said foxes have holes, birds have nests. The Son of Man doesn't have anywhere to lay his head. That you're to be perfect. He said it in five ways. We're supposed to be perfect. Health. No. That you're never to be depressed. That you're never to be down. That you're never to be sick. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane sweat drops of blood in anguish and pain. Talk about emotional pain and and distress and despondency. So we don't name name for the sake of shock, but see it for what it is. That's a false gospel. We are saved by grace through faith. There are no works attached to it. Joyce Myers, false gospel. It's false. Listen to her. Listen to her for 30 minutes and watch how every five minutes she'll bring the conversation back to herself, pointing direction to herself. Guys, we point to Jesus. We edify Jesus. We glorify Jesus. We look to the Lord. It's not about a man. It's not about a person. So be very careful in the subtlety of what's going on in big religion, in big church. It's not about any entity on earth. It's about Jesus and his kingdom. I'm going to close with an illustration. A man once had a dream in which it seemed to be standing in the midst of an assembly of evil spirits. On the throne sat their ruler, Satan, grasping the scepter of wickedness in his hand. Summoning his subjects about him, Satan said in a loud voice, Who will go to the earth and persuade men to accomplish the ruin of their souls? One of the attendant spirits said, I will go. And how will you persuade them? Asked Satan. I will persuade them was the answer that there is no heaven. But Satan replied, no, that will not do. You will never be able to force such a belief on most mankind. That conviction of a better life to come is too deep seated in the hearts of men. Then a second spoke up and said, I will go. And how will you persuade them, asked Satan? I will persuade them that there is no hell. But again, Satan answered, that will not do. You will never persuade most men that that is so. Man's conscience will witness against you and defeat your ends. We must have something else, something which will appeal to all classes, ages, and dispositions, and which will be acceptable to the human race as a whole. There, upon a dark spirit, glided forward and said, Satan, I will go. And what will you tell them, asked Satan? I will tell them, answered the spirit, that there is no hurry, no hurry to be saved, that tomorrow will be soon enough. Satan laughed with pleasure, for he knew this spirit could ruin many souls. He was the spirit chosen to go, and still he is abroad, In the earth, whispering to the hearts of men, there is still sufficient time to seek God. There is no hurry. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would see that the time is at hand. Lord, that you are calling us to be busy about your business. That you are calling us, Lord, to live for something beyond our kingdom, 
our financial portfolios, ourselves. I pray, Father, that we would recognize that through the subtlety of satanic deception, that, Lord, we've wasted enough time. I pray, Father, that we would be what you would desire us to be. We thank you for salvation. We thank you that the price has been paid. But, Lord, by evidence of the fact that we are still here, there is work to be done for you and for your kingdom. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just um, lead us in that direction that you would have us to go and that we would desire, Lord, to not build our names or our kingdoms, but to look to you and to live for you all the days of our life. Thank you for your word, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.